You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Last week we kicked off a brand new series where we were talking about how God designed us to belong. In fact, we saw that at the very beginning God created man for community. He looked at Adam and he said, you know, it's not good that he's alone. And so he created Eve as a result of that recognition. And we saw how we're even healthier when we're together, that we're not as healthy when we live solo, Lone Ranger kind of style. And we looked at how valuable it is to be connected in not just community, but biblical community, how we need that. The, the truth is, we are better together. Now, we could debate that, but what we're looking at through this series is the fact that we were designed to belong. And in that context, we are better together. But not everybody believes that. I mean, we agree that we're designed in certain ways to belong and that if we were to get specific, some of those areas that we would probably all agree on is, for instance, fitness. You know, we need somebody to kind of get us motivated, hold us accountable, to spot us when we're in the gym or a running partner or a group to run with. Fitness, we kind of need somebody to encourage us. When it comes to dieting, we all need encouragement, don't we? Yeah, whatever the diet fad is, you know, we all need encouragement because if it's just left up to me, every day's a cheat day. I mean, let's be honest, right? Or in something maybe more serious, the area of uh, sobriety. I mean, we all, if, we, if that's our world, if, we, if that's part of where we live, we need somebody who's going to hold us accountable, somebody that we can count on, somebody who we can call when there's when we're feeling really weak, somebody who knows all of our, our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups, somebody who we know knows us and we could always count on them, no matter what the hour of the day is. And we recognize that. There are areas where all of us would agree for sure that we need each other. We're not so sure, though, that that applies to every area of our lives. Actually, some of us feel like we're better alone in certain areas of our lives. And one of those areas that we would say, I think this is a personal thing, is the area of our relationship with God. Many people will push back on that and say, hey, this is a private issue. I mean, spiritual, spirituality, that is a personal thing. You have your way, I've got my way. Different strokes, for different folks. You like to pray out loud. I like to pray silently. You like to read your Bible every day. I like to listen to a spiritual podcast once in a while. You like to go to church and pray, and I like to go to the golf course and swear. I mean pray. You get my point. You can come to the place in your life where you see your relationship with God as just entirely personal. It's a private thing. It's just you and God. So when I say that we're designed to belong, you say, yeah, that's true. If you're talking about fitness or dieting or sobriety or whatever, etc., you might fill that blank in with. But when we're talking about your relationship with God, that's a me thing. It's personal. They tell me that approximately 49% of us in this country 
prefer to be alone as opposed to be with other people. They're what we call introverts, and some of you know who you are. You're having a great time not engaging with anyone right now. You know, that handshaking part of the service, you could do without that. We had a guy on our staff a few years ago, Nathan Zimmerman, who was a painful introvert. And if you wanted to mess with him, just hug him. <laughs> he was like a board. And he'd go, hey, brother, bring it in. He's like, ah. it, it was like a three-year-old trying to land a 747. He didn't know what to do. And it, we get it, right? Some of us are just wired that way, right? They would rather, introverts would rather be alone than be with other people. So naturally, you have a tendency, if you're introverted, to be inclined to see your relationship with God as not just personal, but private. Introverts love being alone. In fact, one of the reasons that they love it so much is that it actually replenishes them. Let me give you a key point this morning. We grow in our faith more when we're with others. I like being alone at times. I like reading. I love, I'm passionate about reading. I, I love running. I love running my pace, so it's kind of a, you know, personal thing. And I love having complete control of the remote control. I mean, you get that when you're by yourself, right? But that's because, just because I like being alone sometimes doesn't mean that I like being alone all the time. Because the truth is, I'm an extrovert. And extroverts gain energy by being around other people. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Every July, I take what we call around here my study time. And I'll go uh, to an, uh, kind of a secluded location and spend two weeks just trying to connect with God. Uh, I'll, I'll spend time praying and studying and then reading, and then repeat that cycle over and over again, using lots of coffee to keep me going, all right? And I have been so blessed to have access to two really nice places in the Commonwealth that are secluded. And one of those places is a farm that is, to say that it's secluded is to understate it, okay? You are so far out away from everything that you, you have to go up on a hill and hold your cell phone up in the air just to get service. Not saying that I did it every hour, but maybe every two hours, right? And I found that having done this a few years in a row, that at a certain point, after a day and a half, I'll go from that location and I will go into the small town that's not far away and go to one of their finer eating establishments known as the Huddle House, and I go there not for the food. I go there because I need to hang out with people. And it's a better crowd than I found at Walmart. <laughs> and the last time I was there, it was kind of funny because something happened with the cook. And everything was running really slow. And I, had a, I brought a book with me because I'm kind of a nerd like that. And so I was sitting there drinking coffee, waiting for my meal to come. And I was reading my book, and this lady walked by. And I had been there a half hour. And she nudged me and says, is that a good book? And I said, yes. And she said, 
you may finish it before you get your food. And I was like, what? And it was, it was another, I waited an hour. But you know what? I didn't care because there were people around me. And I was like going, hey, how's it going? Good to see you. I don't even know them. Doesn't matter. My kids said years ago, they said to me, dad, don't take this wrong. I think Bailey was in middle school and Natalie was elementary. They said, don't take this wrong, but we don't want you to go to the mall with us. And I said, why not? And they said, well, the reason is because you seem to have to talk to every person that you know. And it's slowing us down in the mall. And I get it. It's true. I enjoy being with other people. It actually replenishes me. But as an extrovert, I have to discipline myself to take time to be alone with God. Usually, for me, that's every morning at 6 a.m. I have my quiet time. I spend time reading the Bible and praying. And I don't know about you, but you ever leave a time like that and kind of have that feeling like, I'll see you later, God, or until next time. And it's that feeling that you only commune with God in kind of those sacred, private moments. And then everything else after that, it's just life hitting you, right? Well, the truth is that you can connect with God even when you're with other people. You may be the only person in your home who's a Christian, and so you see your faith as a personal thing. Or you may be the only person in your office who knows the Lord, and so your faith is either secret or you feel like a martyr. I mean, if you stand out, you stand alone. Or maybe, maybe you're surrounded by other Christians in your life, but you're the only one who's really actually interested in growing your faith. So some of those people actually put off and put down your commitment to prayer and devotional time. So you begin to start thinking, I guess it's just me and Jesus in this thing. And when this has gone on for a while, there's a part of us that thinks that being a Lone Ranger may be the only way or the best way to deepen our faith and maybe the only way to deepen our faith. Despite how alone we may feel at times when it comes to our faith, God reminds us that he can still be found among the masses. Jesus, after all, would retreat to the hillside to spend time with his heavenly father, but he would always return to come back to be with the people. So here's a, here's a key point of our talk this morning. We grow spiritually better together. We'll grow spiritually better when we do it together. Faith grows best in the context or the framework of a biblical community. And that's what I want to talk about. I'm going to give you a couple reasons why I think that that is profoundly true. The first one is this. We receive during worship what we can't get on our own. Something's going to happen in here that you cannot recreate in your own personal quiet time. It's true. If you look at the letter in the New Testament to the Hebrews, you find that it begins with this reminder of the biblical community's original confession of faith. What the writer does is he gives us this list in chapter 1 of the qualities of Jesus and then these tenets of faith that these people believed. And he's declaring, hey guys, remember, remember, this this is what we signed up for. This is the one that we believe in. 
So it makes sense that throughout the rest of the letter that he's going to continue to encourage and challenge the believers to join together in their faith. Faith is more like basketball than it is like golf. We need to rely on each other. And we get to our spiritual goals quicker when we do it together. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Hebrews 4.16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Now, granted, the, the purpose of this verse, the reason that this verse was written, was to emphasize where we receive mercy. We, it's found at the throne of God. But don't lose sight on what the writer says. He says, but being together at his throne enables us to receive it when we need it most. There's something to be said about going to the throne of God together. Some of us need that. We're not going to go on our own. But if somebody invites us, and in the context of something like this, we may take a step toward that. Hebrews 12, 28 says, another example, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. There's something to be said about corporate worship that we can't get on our own, in our own quiet, private space. We see other people in corporate worship worshiping. We hear other people's stories. We actually see people connecting with God, even when we feel that we're not making that connection. And the result is that our faith grows. It grows better when we're together. Well, there's another example of how faith grows best in the context of a biblical community. And that is our example directs others to God. Our example, (coughs) excuse me, directs others to God. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that serving others actually directs people to God. Look what he writes in Matthew, the uh, fifth chapter, verse 16. Jesus says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I have a really good friend. His name is Rusty George. Rusty preaches at a church out in the Los Angeles area. And he tells a story about one Sunday morning following the 830 service that one of the ushers was actually going through the aisles, kind of policing things, picking up trash, getting ready for the 10 o'clock service, when he found a wallet. He picked the wallet up and he took it to their guest services area right away. And he said, hey, I found this wallet. Just Somebody may be looking for it, just wanted to drop it off. The lady working guest services said, hang on a second before you go. What, can I get your name so that, you know, if they want to thank you or even maybe give you a reward, they can do that. And he said, yeah, that's not necessary. I'm just praying that somehow this might point somebody to Jesus. Well, after the 1130 service, someone came to the counter and said, hey, do you all have a lost and found? And they said, you found it. <laughs> Oh, I know, it's lost and found humor, right? You found it, how can we help you find whatever it is you're looking for? And he said, well, I lost my wallet, and I was wondering if anybody might have turned one in. And they asked him a couple questions to clarify that it was actually his wallet, and then they, they handed it over to him, and then he did what all of us would do, you know? 
He looked to see if all the money was still in it. And he was shocked because he said it was all there. This is what he said. I had just cashed a check and had a couple hundred dollars in here. I can't believe it's still here. Maybe this church is all right. Maybe this church is all right. Not long after that, they learned a little more about this guy's story. He wasn't a Christian, and he had just started coming just to see what church was all about. He didn't plan on losing his wallet, but that simple act that, was demonst- that demonstrated integrity in that biblical community was enough to keep him coming back. And the next Easter service, he confessed Christ and was baptized into him. In this case, this guy's faith was in part the result of the witness of that biblical community. I had a lady stop me in between services, and she said, Hey, we're going to a church under the bridge today to serve. And I went, Great. And she goes, Thank you. And I go, What's the matter? She goes, We weren't going until we heard your sermon. (laughs) And I go, well, I think we'll praise Jesus for that. (laughs) If you think about it, God's call on our lives is to love him and to love others. But that's impossible to do all by ourselves. We show this love by serving. We show this love when we serve each other. When I force myself out of my comfort zone and I serve others, I find that I not only strengthen their faith, but it deepens my faith as well. I'm more like Jesus when I'm serving others. Jesus set the example. He is the standard. He was the lead servant. He washed his disciples' feet. He healed those who were sick and infirm. He actually encouraged the brokenhearted. He even challenged those who were comfortable and said, hey, there is a better life than the one you're living. Everything that he did, all of his actions were actually acts of service toward others. Often, the only people I'm interested in serving are me, myself, and I. Anybody identify with that? When I'm alone, the world revolves around me. I get my way 100% of the time. I'm in complete control. But when I'm with others, I'm forced to yield to what they want some of the time. I don't always get my way, but I do get opportunities to meet their needs, to serve somebody besides myself. We are never more like Jesus than when we're serving. Well, there's another example of how our faith grows in the, in the framework of a biblical community, and that is when we're together, our faith is encouraged. Our faith is encouraged. Look at Hebrews 10.25 says, when we're together, excuse me, uh, Yeah, that's what I just said, right? And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return, that's Jesus' return, is drawing near. We live in a culture where the average church attendance has dropped to one out of every three Sundays. Did you know that? That's about average. It doesn't sound too bad when you say, I go to church every every three weeks or so, you know. But it does sound a little different to say, last year I went to church a total of 17 times. It doesn't sound as good. Now, I'm not bringing that up to make anyone feel guilty. I'll let the Holy Spirit work on you for that, okay? 
But if the weekend attendance is, that, is declining like that, the extra gatherings of life groups and mission trips and service projects and Bible studies are going to be also lower. And the author of Hebrews saw this coming, and he warned us right there in verse 25 of chapter 10. Here's the warning. Don't give up meeting together. He doesn't go in and explain it all, all of it. He gives some explanation, but he gives us that warning. Don't, don't give up meeting together. Let me give you an example of why this is important, at least from my life. I, as I mentioned last week, I have a discipleship group. It's the small community, biblical community that I'm a part of. And these guys, all of these guys are in it. They're all men. They're all leaders. You know, some of them are leaders here in the church or they're leaders in their area of business or expertise. Some are community leaders. And this group is a a, re- a really sharp bunch of guys. In fact, they, they make me better. And that's my nice way of saying they stretch me and challenge my thoughts from time to time. They'll raise thoughts and ideas that often stretch me. I didn't think about this. And I'm the one that's actually been studying to prepare for this time to share. They have, over the years, frequently taught me profound truth while I was in the midst of teaching them. Now, why does any of that matter? If we didn't meet, I'd have missed all of that. They have made me a better follower of Christ. And I'm grateful for it. So how do we come together to grow better spiritually? How do we do that? And if we put all of our togetherness into practice, it can seem overwhelming, especially for those of you that identify as introverts. So how do we make something so personal, like our faith, more of a group effort? How do we overcome our fears of being hurt and all the insecurities that come with opening ourselves up to other people? How do we do that? Quickly, I want to give you five steps in order to take the to make the move from just being a Sunday morning consumer, somebody who shows up and and is here for just an hour and 15, and take that step over to biblical community. All right, the first step. Recognize that individuality is still important. It's still important. You need your daily time with God. You need your prayer days. You need your solitude and silence before him. Just recognize that that's not the end goal. All right? Second step, make efforts to turn worship services into conversations. Make sure, instead of just showing up late and leaving early, evaluating how good the sermon was, you know, Monty's sermon wasn't that funny today. Ha ha, that's real funny. You know, or whether or not you thought the music was too loud or something you didn't like about it. Instead of taking time to do that, make a decision that you're going to engage some people in conversation. When you get here, talk to the people around you. Now I'm talking about, don't be weird about it, you know. But people do respond when you're friendly. They do. So just be friendly. How was your week? Hi, my name's Monty. Nice to meet you. And if you get to know them, you can even ask, hey, is there anything I could pray for you about? I'd love to do that for you this week. Hope I see you next week. And then on your way out, What did God say to you today? (laughs) You know, they may go, I'm an introvert. Please leave me alone. Did you not hear? We don't like engagement. Okay. (laughs) 
What did God say to you? You go, you're an introvert? Bring it in because I'm hugging you right now. That would be probably weird, okay? But ask him. Anything happened today? Was there, was there something about God that clicked for you today? Maybe it's something that overwhelms you about him. How can I pray for you this week? Or as you get your kids over in the children's area, you just thank those folks that are, you know, taking care of all of the stuff that goes on over there. Just say thanks. Have a short dialogue. It's, we're not talking about a 15-minute conversation. Just have some dialogue with them. Or maybe it's the greeters as you're walking out. Or maybe when you got your donut and coffee, you just said, hey, thanks for doing this. This is really cool. Um, I appreciate it. Take time to have just a little bit of dialogue. It's going to sweeten this place even more. Step number three, judge your experience at church through someone else's eyes. Take a look at what you experience in a worship service through someone else's eyes. The best way to do this is to bring a guest with you. You'll see the experience of worship here totally different. You'll see your church the way you should because you're looking at it through the eyes of someone else. I've noticed that my non-church friends who come here they never say anything about the music was too loud or they never comment about what I'm wearing. They never go, hey, dude, I thought we were going to do more hymns. They never say that. <laughs> they say things like, you know, I wonder how that might apply to what we're going through in our marriage. Could, maybe that could help. Or, you know, that might be something that could help my son who's dealing with that addiction. Um, I promise you, when you bring a friend, you're going to pray that it's the best service they've ever had, that we've ever done here. And you'll be sitting there the whole time going, please, God, please, let them see you. Try to look at this service, try to look at every worship service through the eyes of someone who may be here who doesn't have a clue who Jesus is. Step number four. During this week, find some ways to share the Bible. I love this one. Don't just read the Bible yourself. Read it with your family. If, you, uh, if you're separated from your family for whatever distance or whatever, read it with some friends. <laughs> you know, if you go to dinner uh, with your family, read the Bible. You know, I'm not talking about reading 10 chapters out of Leviticus. I'm just talking about reading a couple verses that were relevant to you, that spoke to you. And you know what? Text those verses or email them to, to each other. That's a cool way. Now, caution you, do not, you know, try to send a message or correction. You know, like, hey, I was reading about greed today, and I couldn't help but think about your new car. You know, God bless you. <laughs> Don't do that. Instead, I'd rather try to encourage them. I read this verse, and it spoke to me. I hope it, I hope it touches you as well. Finally, step number five, one of the best ways to deepen your faith through biblical communities, to pray for someone else's faith. Somebody around you you know who could use, you know, a, a vitamin B12 shot of the Spirit of God. One of the most overused phrases in the Christian community is, I'll be praying for you. But you know what is seldom heard? Follow-up to those statements. 
things like, how is your job situation? I've been praying all week about it. I hope it's, hope it's been better. Give me an update. Or, hey, I've been praying for your daughter. I know that move to college was going to be a big transition. How's she doing? How's she doing? This is an amazing time for us to be living and to access for the purposes of biblical community because of technology is so advanced. We can do a lot of this through email and texting, and it takes hardly any time at all to do it. But the effort can, be, can, can produce remarkable results. It can be incredibly powerful. So let me encourage you, take these five steps to better connect in a biblical community. Let me close with this. Several years ago, a guy I worked with used the phrase, less is more. He was talking about ministry and kind of church life as a whole. And he just said, he was using this three-word three phrase, less is more. And I, I was wrestling with how that really fits because, you know, there's a lot of people and a lot of needs and all that kind of stuff. And he just kept saying less is more. Like if he said it enough times, I would suddenly go, oh, Eureka, I get it. But I didn't, I didn't fully get what he was trying to say. I understood but I didn't fully get it. I didn't fully agree with it. I did some research and found that that phrase actually originated in an 1855 poem by a guy by the name of Robert Browning. The poem was called The Faultless Painter. And less is more is the idea that simplicity and clarity lead to good design and greater efficiency. And I agree with that. Many believe, though, that this minimalist approach to life is more effective for every area of life. But I started to see that sometimes less is just less. It's not more, it's less. And I found that to be true, especially when it came to relationships. See, I started thinking as an extrovert, for me, less is not more when it comes to relationships. But I started wondering, maybe for the introvert, it was, right? Maybe one friend is enough. One confidant in your life is all you need to be successful. I found that the Gallup polling people did some research, and they found that the average American has nine close friends in their life, not counting their family. Nine. Nine close friends. On average, it tells us that most of us need more than one person in our lives. And part of what this research tells us is that every single one of us needs people in our lives. We can't do this alone. We really can't. So who are the people who are close to you? Who you interact with regularly? Are those people people who will help you grow spiritually? Are those people people who when you pick up the phone and call them, they are there immediately? Are they people who you can count on when you face challenges in life? Here's the reality. You will find people like that inside of biblical communities. People who are trying to love others like Jesus did with the framework of the Bible as our guidance. So as we did last week, I want to encourage you to take the best way we have here and get connected through one of the Northeast groups. We have our Sunday morning Bible groups, Bible classes. We have our life groups, and we also have D groups. And the easiest way to do that is to go to our website, nccleX.org, 
and go to the toolbar, go over the connection point. There will be a drop down and you'll see all of these options listed. You can check them out, read about what they're, what they're about and which one seems to fit you best. Maybe you're not somebody that likes to do this kind of stuff online, and I get it. We've got a couple of uh, information walls in our lobbies out there, and I want to encourage you to go there. All that same information that's online is out there on those walls, and you can sign up. There are cards that are available. You figure out, hey, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I want to do, and then sign up on the card. And whether you sign up online or you sign up on one of those cards, somebody's going to follow up with you this week. I hope you'll do that. See, if you want to grow spiritually, then you need to get connected to a biblical community because that'll accelerate it. We grow spiritually better together. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and your grace. And I'm, I'm just so, I'm so blessed, Lord, that you created us to do life together. You looked at Adam and you said, hey, this is, this is not good that Adam is alone. And so you created Eve and they started this journey in life together. God, we see our faith sometimes as personal, which causes some of us to see it as private. And some of us are just wired that way. We're introverts, which makes it more difficult for us to step out and join a group and we're a lot more comfortable being alone and yet we know that you point us toward each other and we recognize that we do grow spiritually better together so God give us the courage that we need to sign up and get connected to you God we want to grow in our faith in you so that we might be that fully devoted follower that you've called us to be. And Lord, we know that in order to do that, the very first step we got to take is to surrender to you. It may be new to somebody here. Not sure what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I pray that they would recognize the need to have more information about that and kind of check a box on the connect card or stop by down front and say, hey, I want to talk a little more about what it means to make Jesus Lord of my life. God, we're grateful for that. Thank you for this group of people who have a deep heart for you. God, I pray you'll bless each one of us today. We pray in Jesus' name.